everyone. Welcome to Through Triple Eyes. I'm your host, Triple A. Thank you for joining me this Wednesday. I hope you all had a great week. Uh, this week, I am really excited because I got to interview a friend of mine who, I mean, of course, we know each other in real life, but also for the past few years since I moved out of the States, we've just kind of been Facebook buddies. And I've been watching her really closely from afar because I am in awe of her. Now, um, her name is Casey Kelly. She's based in Austin, Texas. And we met back in 2010 uh, when I had my theater, the Gemini Playhouse. Um, Casey at the time used to run a local belly dance show that was monthly. And so she had come over to the Gemini Playhouse to use it as a venue for her show. And we became friends from there. And due to life circumstances, we had some other stuff going on that was in common and that I guess helped us bond. So um, I'm really, really blessed to have her on the show. Um, so what had been going on was, you know, there's been a lot of stuff happening in the American politics scene and, uh, sorry, political scene. And, you know, a lot of it, which is detrimental to voter rights and also to, um, you know, reproductive rights for women. And so Casey has really become you know, an activist and I've been watching her and, you know, like she's literally been talking the talk and walking the walk and I've been in awe of her. So I wanted her to come on the show and talk to us a bit about how she got started and, you know, um, and what can we do if we are feeling a bit overwhelmed by what's going on in our, in the countries that we live in and to see how we can help. So, Without further ado, y'all, um, here's the interview. And by the way, this was, of course, recorded long distance. So um, apologies for some of the um, the odd audio moments. Um, still working out the kinks on recording long distance. So bear with me, y'all. Anyways, here we go. All right, everyone. I'd like to welcome to Through Triple AI, Miss Casey Kelly. How are you, Casey? I am so good. I am so happy to be talking to you. Um, how are you? I am fabulous, thank you. Yay. So, <laughs> so Casey, <laughs> the reason why I wanted to interview you for the podcast was, you know, since the last election, I've just been watching you really become this amazing social activist and I think a lot of times, you know, we forget that we can do something. And I wanted to talk to you to find out how can people get involved and, you know, what triggered you and, you know, so and find out how are you managing this with your present life as well. So to okay. get started, um, is this your first time getting involved in politics per se? Oh, no. Um, I have been involved in politics off and on since I was in high school. That was sort of minimal. I was, um, I was in an economics, no, government class where we were required to do a volunteer project with one of the local political parties because our 
and it was our choice. You know, she was like, I don't care which one. It can be a third party. It can be one of the big two. But you need to understand how your local political machinery works, which I thought was a really valuable lesson. And so I ended up with all my friends because of the time and the place and the fact that I was a little knothead. I was volunteering at the local Republican Party office stuffing campaign mailer envelopes. And um, obviously that didn't stick. But (laughs) understanding that politics wasn't all top down. It wasn't everything that you just saw on TV, that there were people locally doing this stuff. Um, it did make an impression on me. And I also, I was, I turned 18 before I graduated from high school because I was, a, I was like one of those kids who was born at the pretty close to the beginning of the school year. Oh, yeah. And uh, there was this substitute teacher who I could not stand and she ran for the school board. And so I made a point to go vote against her <laughs> because I, I mean, and, and the thing was, it was so petty and spiteful. I didn't know for all I, I, I didn't know what her qualifications were for the school board, but I knew that she was mean to the kids. Right. And so I, I actively campaigned against her with my few friends who could vote. And I let everyone know I was voting against her and why. Um, so I guess that's that was sort of foundational for me, the knowledge that there was local stuff I could do and um, an inability to keep my mouth shut when something bothered me. And that's those were, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was basically it. And then in college, I didn't do a whole lot because college, I was busy doing stuff. I voted. Um, my dad always... My dad was a veteran. My grandfather was a veteran. And um, he said, it's very important that you vote because people made real sacrifices for you to have the right to voice your political opinion in safety. And so I always voted. Um, And that's an issue now that is becoming more challenging for college students because a lot of state legislatures, those that are controlled by the Republican Party, which is essentially the it, it represents a minority of political interests in the U.S. now. They're not, you know, the power between the Republican and Democratic parties, or I guess the, the social appeal behind them is not evenly distributed. But the GOP is very good at wielding power. And one of the things that they've been doing over the years is very quietly making it more difficult, more confusing, and more fraught with actual, like, risk of penalties for college students to vote. They've made it very, very confusing where do you register to vote? Where are you authorized to vote? Because do you vote at your college campus at that address? Or do you vote at your parents' address, which is your permanent address? And even when I took um, voter registration or voter deputy register training a couple of years ago, it was very confusing to us as they walked us through the process of helping register college students to vote. And, um, you know, and there are the, these legislatures are also adding penalties for people who make errors on their voting registration forms or who vote in the wrong place. And it's all basically designed to disenfranchise young people, college students from voting. Um, So that's my whole college thing. And then um, I did, I, I live in a very red area outside of Austin that's slowly turning purple. And so, yeah, which means, I mean, for people who aren't familiar with that, red is traditionally the Republican party color. Blue is the Democrats. And so we're, we say we're turning purple because more people from Austin are moving out here 
or moving to this area from other states because it's close to Austin, but it's the housing is less outrageously expensive. I and when I in Austin, my God, I was just looking and I, I said, what happened? <laughs> and we we keep hitting all these lists of best place to live, best place to vacation. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, I'm like, I like Austin. I'm not from here. I've been here since I went to school here and then I left and came back in 95. I like Austin, but it's really just blazingly hot all summer long. Summer lasts six months. And <laughs> um, and the, our weather has been getting increasingly weird. It's either hot or we're flooding or things are on fire. And, right. you know, those are our three settings. And, um, I mean, it's nice, but it's, it's getting crowded. Our infrastructure hasn't kept up with the number of people who are coming here. Unlike a lot of cities, we're starting to see the, the housing market get really unaffordable for everyday working people. So there's that. Yeah. Um, but when, when I moved here, it was very red, very Republican. And we tried, uh, my then husband and I tried volunteering with the, the county Democratic Party, and it was so discouraging. There were so few of us. And now it's different. I have a Democratic county commissioner. I have a Democratic justice of the peace. I have a state representative who's a Democrat and his wife is a teacher. So he's all about improving education and he's completely pro women's rights as everyone should be. Um, and it's just been so refreshing to see that happen. And it only took, you know, what, 24 years to get to that point. To get to that point. I know. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I, I, I campaigned for Barack Obama. I did a lot of calling because I was terrified he wasn't going to win. Um, and, but then this, this thing, I'm, oh my gosh, Anita. <laughs> this thing, I'm not even going to say the man's name. I know, I know, I know. Everyone knows who we're talking about. Uh, I just remember that collective depression the day, the, you know, the day after the election. You Did know. you know? Yeah, yeah. Did you know Rania when you were here in Austin? Rania? No, I don't think I did. Okay, Rania is, um, she's a dancer, and she was my teacher, and she's my friend. And we were on election night, we were at a dance studio, and the two of us were rehearsing a duet that we were going, that we were working on. Okay. And we weren't even watching the returns, Anita. She's Egyptian American. Um, she, you know, I'm me. I'm the mother of an LGBTQ son. And we had so much to be worried about and we didn't realize it. Um, so we just assumed Hillary would win because how could she not? How could reasonable people look at the most qualified, you know, one of the most qualified candidates ever to run for the office? Versus this absolute, just crass, hateful troll of a man and think that it would go the way it did. And so on the way home from the studio, I got in the car, turned on NPR, and within about 30 seconds, I could feel myself starting to dissociate from my body, <laughs> which sounds melodramatic, but I, I really thought that I might have a stroke. And I had to pull over for a little bit and, you know, surfed channels to make sure it wasn't a hoax. And got home, and um, my my older son was there, and he just had this wild-eyed panic look on his face. 
and he said, do I need, do I need to leave the country? And I said, let's just hold on here. Let's just everybody calm down. But um, it was a whole night of people calling each other and texting each other. And can you believe this? And what are we going to do? Yeah, because I was in Dubai at the time. So I went to bed and woke up. And then the first thing I did was, oh, my God, the, you know, I need to check the, the elections. And when I saw the news and I was like, I was just in, I can't say I was in total shock. You know, I had a feeling, you know, being a former New Yorker. I knew this dude had a lot of tricks under his arm, you know? So once he got that far, I knew he had a good shot because he was talking the talk they wanted to hear. But at the same time, I guess I was hoping that, you know, people would be smarter. And <laughs> but at, at the end of the day, I think that election taught me that we just like rhetoric and we fall for it and we, we think... The, the one who shouts the most is actually going to do better for us. But history has shown us they don't. Yes, yes. That's been a big topic of discussion recently with all these Democrats who are in the primary. Mm -hmm. um, because there are so many people saying, well, I like this guy's ideas. He has no experience. He's lost every election he's run for. You know, speaking of some of the many men who are running for, for the Democratic nomination. You know, mm -hmm. but he's got good ideas. And my position is now that ideas, any fool can have an idea. Exactly. Uh, but if you don't have the experience and the connections and proof that you can actually implement your ideas, you, you might as well just be talking gibberish. It doesn't matter. And, um, you know, we have, as a culture, we have this fascination with a, a you know, a promising young man with bright ideas. Or, you know, um, a guy who's likable or electable or whatever that means. And it's all, it's all code for, you know, a, a mediocre white guy. I hate to say it, but I think that's what it is. <laughs> um, you know, as, as the mother of, of two white, white boys, I try not to be too horribly down on white men. But dang, you know, they get a pass on a lot of yes, things yes, that yes, nobody yes, else does. Yes, and... Um, yeah, which is why when my kids were little, we used to play a game. When we would see a man behaving badly in public, we had a secret code. Don't be that white guy. Oh, and no. it was, oh, yes. <laughs> I was like, look, here's the deal. See how that man is encroaching on that woman's space or see how that man is loudly talking over the people around him. Mm -hmm. Don't be that white guy when you grow up. But so I feel like we're fighting a lot of inherent bias in our political system. Because we have some very qualified women running for, for president Definitely. now. Def I mean, I almost feel like we have too many qualified people running. You yes. Know? And we, we need to sort of create like a dream team. You know, not everyone can be president, but let's, you know, pool the energy and create a team that can actually do something. Yes, I would love to see some of the, however this sifts out. And I want to say this now. You know, it, we're all over here vetting the candidates and, and saying what we think about them. But I think one thing that we as Democrats hope that we've all learned is that whoever gets the nomination, we got to vote for them. There were a lot of especially white Democratic voters who did not understand the concept of survival voting before 2016. I think they understand it now. So, oh, my gosh, I hope so, too, um, because. I'm there, oh, oh, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. There were a lot. 
<laughs> sorry, y'all. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. No, there were a lot of, there were Sanders voters who were so enthusiastic about him and so, I guess, crushed or frustrated when he didn't win the nomination that they either stayed home or voted for Trump. And um, I, I have a friend whose niece did that. And she said, well, Trump will burn it all down. And at least, you know, then we can start over. And I thought, this is the vote of someone who has nothing to lose, um, which is not most people. So I'm, I'm hoping that this time, whoever, whoever it is, I'll vote for them if they're a Democrat. If they're not the person who is in the office now, I will vote for them. Right. But I'd love to see whoever doesn't get the nomination run for the Senate, because if we don't, if the Democrats don't gain the Senate and hold the House, we're going to see the same kind of gridlock, even if they win the presidency. Yes, and we're probably going to go into a war if we're not careful as well. So tell me about what is the coverage of like of that like here because or in, in Ghana, because here it's kind of like, oh, Trump is doing a thing, but he's always doing a thing. And I, I over here, it feels to me like the saber rattling with Iran is really getting lost in the other noise. What's the what is it uh, like I'm, over there? In Ghana, I mean, I've heard a little bit on the news, but it's more like a headline um, mm. because we also have elections coming up next year. So, uh. and we've got two major parties here. So it's the NDC versus the NPP. And to be honest, as someone, you know, an outsider looking in, it's, you know, it's the same face. Uh, what, what's that saying? Um, same face, but uh, no, what's uh, something about the coin? <laughs> Oh, uh, two sides of the same coin. Is yes, that it? there we go. I'm starting to feel like George W. there with the, you know, shame <laughs> on you, shame on me. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, but it's it's basically the same, you know, same evil, no matter which direction you go. And mm. in one party seems to be a little bit more social minded, but the problem is. The corruption levels are so high and they are in every facet of life here that it's not something you can clean up overnight. So, you know, so, but as far as with the U.S. news, it's just a headline here. I don't think people here are really paying attention because, again, they've got some real issues to deal with here. Right. You know, yeah. I don't blame them. Um, but I normally, I, you know, I, I sort of get my... Um, news from the international press and everything so you know i've been followed and it's it's heating up it's really mm. heating up and it's you know i don't think again i don't know how much i saw on cnn that they are reporting it and you know but again because of the rhetoric of fake news and blah 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 going on i don't think people are taking it seriously and they don't know they can't imagine a battle right i i think you're right they can't imagine and it's uh, you know i don't want to defend the american public at large because i'm i'm here and i'm right in the middle of it and i know that we have a great many flaws in the way we attend to political issues and process them but i will say um the one thing that this administration has done is managed to shatter everyone's attention into a thousand little pieces. Yes. 
there are, it's like they create a new crisis at least once a day, whether it's a pipeline or um, immigration or this new thing where they're going to roll back transgender rights protection and health care, or of course the abortion bans that are being passed in different states. All of these things are, they're part of the, the far right agenda, of course, but they are also really effective at keeping people who are paying attention and who care. It's like you feel like you're constantly flitting from one fire to the next with no way to really put any of them out. And so, you know, it's just like the distraction circus. And so I think a lot of people are like, okay, so he's doing this thing with Iran, but then he's also been in sort of a, a, a saber rattling match with North Korea for so long now. For a while, he was running his mouth about sending the military to Venezuela. You know, it's just, it's... And, and, and Cuba, you know, yeah. you know, implementing some more, you know. And there's too much going on, which really scares me. Um, you know, because I think the way the world is structured right now, I don't think you can, unless, even if you're in the middle of nowhere, the ripple effects of all of this is going to hit you. So I think before we run into another war, especially since we haven't quite finished the ones we've, you know, we've started. Yeah. We need to be aware that especially this one, this is going to affect the entire world in, you know, in a horrible way. And I really, really hope, you know, the cooler heads get, get talking to him really quickly. Because, uh, I mean, I still have, you know, friends and family in the Middle East right across from all of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, growing up during the Gulf War, I remember how quickly everybody ran and, you know, hearing the, what do you call, the F-16s flying overhead. And, you know, it's not Mm -hmm. a good feeling. It's not a good feeling. And... I think anyone who supports war, often these people haven't lived through it. They haven't, yeah. they haven't seen it face to face. It's just something they've seen in a movie. So it's like, oh, it's, you know, it's like Game of Thrones. You know, the good guys get up. It's like, no, it doesn't work. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes. There was, who was I talking to about this? Maybe my dad. He was a political science major before he went into um, into the army for a while, and he said the thing about Americans and they're the the is I don't want to say I think I don't know I don't know how to explain it. It's like we grow up as Americans with the notion that war is always an option, and mm-hmm. I think the way he put it is since the Civil War in the U.S. We've never experienced a war on our own territory within the contiguous 48, you know, except for Hawaii. And look what that did. That pulled us right into World War II where we had been out of it before. Um, And so, you know, that one that one attack, which was horrific, was enough to pull us into the war. Um, And so I think uh, the general public, it's like, okay, war isn't always an option because it's always going to be someone else's problem. And that's not healthy i'm not you know i'm i think it skews our perspective tremendously oops hang on just one sec something is beeping at me oh no problem (laughs) yeah i don't know what that was anyway um 
But yeah, so our attention is fragmented. And even if it weren't, one of the most frustrating things about this administration is seeing that women have gotten out and marched in the streets. You know, um, BLM has tried um, to their to their physical peril to to stage protests and demonstrations. And it's like the pushback or the indifference is astonishing. And um, it's frustrating. A friend of mine who's training to be a therapist said she has just terrible outrage fatigue, which I thought was a, a, a good phrase, a good description. And so one of the things that I've tried to do is just focus on a couple of issues. I can't tackle everything. I just can't. No one can. And so I think if you're going to be an activist at the local level, it's best to pick one or two issues and just focus on them and trust that other activists who care about the other issues are going to work on them. And then hopefully you're all going to be in touch with your local elected officials and your local grassroots organizations so that you can network and it can be kind of a, I guess a relay is not really the exact, I don't know. It's a group effort I, is what I'm trying to say. But I know so many people who are so stressed out about everything that's happening that they just get overwhelmed and they shut down. And it's understandable, but it's not helping. So I think it's better to pace yourself. Definitely. I mean, I can personally say I was starting to shut down. And being here in Ghana now, if everything is so in your face um you know a few weeks ago three weeks ago so i was telling you guys about the story of the little baby that was born premature and you know as each i go to the hospital to visit him and the mom i start to see sort of like this method to the madness so for example since the hospitals are underfunded and they don't have any um you know they only have a couple of incubators so they have turned the moms into incubators and so by that they tie the baby like they strap the baby using cloth to the mother's chest and so the mom it's really warm there's no ac or anything so the moms are sweating the babies are so that's how they keep the babies warm can you imagine oh wow wow i mean on the one hand that seems like it would be good for the baby to have skin to skin but that sounds grueling for the mom if she's recovering as well Exactly. And this goes on for as many hours as they can do it, you know, throughout the day. Because when I first went, I, I saw these tiny, tiny babies strapped to the moms and I thought, oh, that's strange. Aren't they too small? And then I started to realize you are the incubator. This is how they're keeping the baby alive and warm. Wow. You know? So while it's ingenious, at the same time, it's, you know, I mean, I think what I'm learning here are people will be resilient what you throw at them. But at the same time, I think there's always a breaking point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, and and I, I do think, I, I know some people who have kind of broken and tapped out, and I think they're just too discouraged to try anymore. But most people who I know, and I admit, I, I curate my social circle very carefully. Um, because I know I no longer trust people who I might have trusted and before if they are supporting the current administration's politics. I just feel like they're not trustworthy. And so those people are kind of out. So in the group that I have, 
people are still pretty active, but everybody seems to have these up and down moments where they'll kind of crash and be like, you know what, I'm just going to check out for a week or whatever. And somebody else kind of has to pick up the baton and run with it. So, so I don't know. (laughs) I don't know, Anita, what's, what's going to happen, but. And I think uh, at the end of it all, all we can do is try and, you know, make people aware. And I wanted to sort of switch uh, gears a little bit and talk about the healthcare situation because uh, what's been interesting is as the news, you know, with the abortion bans keeps rolling into Ghana and into Africa, because it's such a conservative, you know, sort of church-driven society here right now, there's mm-hmm. been a lot of support for it. Oh, wow. Yes. I mean, yeah. It blows my mind. Um, but at the same time, you know, the religious, um, whatever, the, the religious factions have a lot of sway in the politics here. And, and so people think, you know, they support it. And it got me thinking, you know, and when you read, start reading the comments and things, you start seeing people, you know, sort of saying like, well, it's good, you know, so women can't just get up and say, I want an abortion. And I was thinking to myself, I'm like, I don't know about you, but I've never met anyone who's gone and had an abortion and treated it like they were going to buy candy, you know, because that's often what I hear people relate this to. Yeah. Am I missing something? (laughs) No, no, you're not. Um, and it's not, I don't know. I mean, from, from the perspective of, of someone here and the perspective of someone who, you know, it took me six pregnancies to bear two live children. Um, there's a lot going on here. It's not just about, I guess, the, the debate over the morality of abortion, which my position is the UN defines forced pregnancy as a crime against humanity. And as a woman, speaking for myself, no one has the right to tell me what to do with my own body, you know, period, full stop. And um, so that's my position on it. And I'm, I'm quite, you know, hard line about it. Because the other thing that's happening is it's not just about, oh, we want to save these unborn babies. First of all, the bans that have been coming into play recently are about stopping a woman from accessing full health care before she even knows she's pregnant. And at that point, you're not talking about, like the the Mississippi ban was recently, um, a federal judge, I guess, put a stay on it last night. Because he said, look, you know, the last time you tried this, you were trying to ban abortion at 15 weeks. It's not viable then. It's certainly not a viable pregnancy at six weeks. Some of it is ignorance, Anita, because a lot of people don't understand that when you're six weeks pregnant, that means you're only two weeks late on your period. On your period, exactly. Yeah, which I didn't know that until I had my first pregnancy. And they're like, well, you're eight weeks pregnant. And I thought, well, how can that be? And they explained that it goes back to the first date of your last menstrual period, not to the actual moment when you conceived, because who knows when that was. Um, So part of it is, is tremendous ignorance, because we have essentially no sex ed in this country no reproductive education at all unless you seek it out from a specialized program like the Unitarian Universalist Church has a program called Our Whole Lives. It's like a, a whole life continuum of sex and reproductive ed, and it's fantastic. 
Both my boys have been through it. I wholeheartedly recommend it. Um, they talk about everything, health, consent, um, you know, re- uh, contraception, everything. Um, but part of it is just a simple desire to control women and oppress them economically, period. Because it's not just about, we don't want you to not have a baby. It's, you know, the, the ban in Georgia, if I lived in Georgia and the ban that they've tried, that they passed were in effect, I would be considered a suspected serial killer because I had four pregnancy losses in a row. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to imagine a scenario under which I wouldn't be a suspect in the miscarriages and the stillbirth that I suffered. Um, and that's invasive and wrong. And, and it has all these... We have business. I mean, you know, it's really, it's so traumatic. It's really none of their business. Exactly. And again, this ties into, it's a desire to control combined with ignorance. And... um And it's just awful, and it needs to stop. And part of the problem is that as women, especially women in the South, where the culture is more, I don't want to generalize, but when I lived in Georgia, it was very old-fashioned in a way that I didn't like. It was you were supposed to sort of like defer to men in a way that I I found really obnoxious. And, um, but there's, um, I completely lost my train of thought because a squirrel ran by. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm looking out the window when a squirrel ran by. Oh, yes. Because you, you women are taught to... My, my husband just did a little uh, peekaboo. You know? <laughs> How funny. Yeah. Well, mine was a squirrel. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Um, but we're taught to be accommodating. And so as women, we try to sort of work around whatever obstacles are put in our way. And we cede a lot of ground individually and as a group when we do that. Um, so we need to find a new way to, to do that. And so the women who have come out to protest, the women who have, have been, I, I, I'm at a point where I don't feel like I need to share my stories with the world because they're none of anyone's business. And I, I don't feel like any woman should have to justify her right to control her own life. Um, but we do need to find a new way to organize and push back against this stuff because accommodation is not working. Okay. All right. So just to round off what we were talking about, if I'm someone sitting at home right now and I want to do something to help change where things are going in my society, give me three things I can do right now to make an impact. Okay, first of all, find out who your local officials are, your local elected officials. That's one. Um, I used to volunteer with an indivisible group here in Austin, and or here in my county, rather. And it was astonishing to me when I'd talk to people who were agitated. Say, okay, well, you know, have you written your commissioner? Have you written your state rep? Have you written your congressional rep? Well, who is that? Well, you have to know. You have to look it up. You can look it up online or you can call, you know, your county or your state and find out. Um, But you have to have that information because you need to start establishing uh, either some sort of line of communication with those people or you have to at least follow them in the news to see what their stands on the issues are. You need to know those things because especially at the local level, that affects you. Um, Second, 
you need to find out who is already doing the work in your area. This is something that I see. I don't know if it's unique to white suburban women in America, which I am one, or if it's uh, just a, a, a human behavior that when you see an issue and you get fired up about it, a lot of people want to start a brand new project or a brand new group to do that work. We saw that with the abortion bans here. There were all these people saying, well, we want to start a group that helps women get out of these states and get abortions. And somebody said, look, there's already you know, a group led by women of color that's been doing this work for literally years. So rather than reinvent the wheel, support this group. Exactly. So that's the second thing. Find out who is already doing the work in your area. And then the third thing is ask them, the people who are already doing the work, what you can do. And then do it. That's the hard part is it's so easy to be a Facebook warrior or, you know, posting on Reddit. And you can change minds with that stuff if you're doing it right in front of the right audience. But you got to put your feet on the street. You have to decide what you are going to do. Are you willing to protest? Are you willing to write letters? Are you willing to block walk for your candidates? Whatever your local group needs you to do. And then make a commitment. You don't have to do all the things. And groups will push because they need people. They'll be like, well, can you do these 15 things? And you get to say, no, I can do one or two. That way you don't burn out. Um, so know who your elected officials are and pay attention to what they do. Find out who's doing the work that you care about in your community on the issues that matter to you. And get in touch with them and ask them how you can help them do their work. That's that's basically it. That's the formula right there. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. And I got to ask, do you ever, I mean, I, I think it's... A, sort of a different situation in the states but do you ever worry for your safety as you become more vocal on some of these issues oh my lord um there are things that i will flat out never do um i will never be an abortion clinic escort because um i feel like that is too fraught with peril for me i'm a single mother to two sons um i can't you know i'm not going to do civil disobedience yeah. um i'm not going to get arrested I'm not going to put my children in a position where they have to fend for themselves. Other people yeah. may make different choices. Um, the one time I did actually fear for my safety is uh, Muslim Day at the Texas State Capitol last year. Um, there was a call for people in the community to come out and basically form a human shield around the area where the speakers and the participants would be on the south steps of the Capitol building. And the reason for this is because the year before, one of the, I don't know if it was an imam or someone else from the, the Muslim community was speaking to the crowd and an anti-Muslim protester ran up, grabbed the microphone away from them and started ranting to the whole assembled crowd. Yeah. And so they didn't want this to happen again. So I went with some friends and we thought, okay, there's going to be all these crazy bigots trying to attack, you know people in our community who are just there for their, their day of representation at the Capitol, which lots of different groups do. They go and they meet with their legislators on the issues that are important to them. Um, when we got there, Anita, the, it was like human chains around this huge thing that stretched down the mall off the south steps of the building. Okay. Um, people locked arm in arm facing out to shield, um, to shield the attendants from protesters, which there were some. Anita, the rows of people making human chains was five deep. And 
which was fantastic to see. However, <laughs> I'm five foot three, yeah. and they stuck me on the outside, <laughs> right <laughs> up speakers at the front. And I was between, I was locked arms with my friend Monique, who is six feet tall. Okay. And on the other side of me was a, an ex-military man I had never met who looked like he could probably, you know, throw a tank over a cliff. Uh-huh. And then there was me in the middle of them. And I said, hey, guys, just so you know, as a lifetime of being a short woman standing in lines, I'm the weak link here. If they're going to try to push through this line, I'm yeah. where they're going to push. Yeah. And, um, and Monique and this other guy said, don't worry, we got gotcha. you. And I was so grateful for that. But at the same time, it was a little nerve wracking. But then I thought, you know what? 99.999% of the time, I get to walk around in this society as, as a white woman who nobody's going to bother because I'm a white woman. And so I can do this, you know, I can do this for like an hour or two. Yeah. But I, 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 you know, I didn't want to get punched. I didn't want to get shoved. Oh, no. I'm the same way. I've never attended a protest because I've always feared, not because of the actual protest, but I'm always worried about the you know, the outside factions that like to come and disturb protests, you know, and cause trouble to stop it. So yes. And that's, that's always in the back of my fear. mind, especially, you know, the idea of say, you know, I, I hate to even vocalize it, but here in America, there's always the possibility that you're going to get shot. Yes. Um, unfortunately, that risk has become so much a normal part of daily life here. That I honestly, I kind of make the calculation that, well, I'm probably in no more danger. I'm probably in less danger at the Capitol where the Capitol Police are keeping an eye on everything than I am, you know, at some other event. But when we went to the uh, abortion ban protest on Tuesday, also at the state Capitol, also on the South Steps, um, there was a little camera crew there from this. I don't know if you all know about InfoWars over there, but it's led by this crazy hate monger who's been banned from a lot of platforms for hate speech and for terrorizing the parents of school shootings um and his little camera crew was there um shoving into people's personal space and demanding well you know why can't men have a say in the termination of a pregnancy and blah 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 and it was designed to agitate and it was designed to um fluster people and embarrass them and silence them and i noticed that they were deliberately picking on little old women who were in the crowd and um, and it was gross, you know, so we just had to annoy, uh, ignore it, even though it was annoying. And so my son and I would just move away whenever they would approach. But, you know, there's there's always going to be somebody there to stir the pot. And so you kind of do have to watch out for it. But um, but yeah, and everybody, not everybody can do that. Um, you know, sometimes you, you write letters, you make, you make phone calls, um, you do what you're comfortable with as long as it's something. Oh. And yeah. do you hear, now that you're a bit more involved, are there any bills coming up to regulate men's reproductive? You yeah. know what's really funny is there are bills in state legislatures that have been introduced. I think there was one in Georgia, and um, I think there's, there's a, a rep named Jessica Farrar, who I think every now and then she introduces a bill that men have to get permission from their wives um, either before they get a vasectomy or before they get a Viagra prescription. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But these bills are always, she's, they always introduce them as, we intend this as satire. 
and which is a way of softening the blow but it's also I'm like no I mean why not need to come forward yes why not exactly exactly and I mean my position is nobody's reproductive rights should be regulated at all um but they always introduce it and, and say well see you wouldn't like it if we did this and I'm like yeah, but that's easy for them to say, oh, well, you don't mean it. You're just, that's satire and haha, how ridiculous that could never happen. Whereas for women, it does happen and it is happening. Well, I think we, we could go on about this for ages. Um, but I'm going to thank you so much for coming on here and, you know, letting us know how we can get started because. You know, as I said, Donna's got election year coming up really quickly. And, and, um, you know, there's a lot of people are getting tired of what's going on. People are talking, but I don't think a lot of people know where to get started beyond just shouting at their MPs, you know. Oh, gosh. Yes. (laughs) You know, I hope I hope that you will also do a podcast at some point on what we here in America who are trying to be activists can learn from your experience in Ghana and and politics there because I know you mentioned that corruption can be an issue. We're starting to deal with that here in a way that we've never dealt with it before. And so hearing from people who've had to deal with that and confront it and maybe protest it or vote against it, I think that would be a really useful exchange of information for us. I'm, I'm working on trying to get a couple of voices on here. Um, of course, since I'm not a well-known, uh, what do you call, podcaster yet. Actually, most people don't even know po- uh, what podcasts are here yet. Um, so I'm trying to get a couple of interesting voices on to, you know, to talk about this because I can't tell. It's so hard to describe the level of corruption here, um, you know, and it really impacts everybody's lives. You know, and for example, if you go to an office to buy something, you can probably tip the person you're talking to to get a reduction, a significant reduction on whatever you had to pay. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are real business implications. There are real social implications to the level of corruption that we have here. And when I talk to people who are older, they always say it wasn't this bad. So I'm not sure what caused this. And I'm curious to find out when people started to see it getting, you know, going in this direction. And, oh, you know, yeah. Um, you know, and we're also having a lot of outside influence as well. I mean, we've got the Chinese coming in like nobody's business. They are buying up our lands and impregnating our villages faster than... <laughs> oh, well. You know? Yes, there's a lot happening on the ground here. Um, so I'm definitely working on getting some, some voices on who aren't afraid to talk and sort of let the world know what's really going on. Because every now and then I see an expose on CNN about something in Ghana, but it's, but it's so skewed, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so I think at the end of the day, we have to also put out our own material so people actually know on the ground what's happening. Yes. So I'm working on it. I'm definitely working on it. Awesome. And maybe, you know, I mean, that's, that's your way to be active, right? 
is yeah. is to share this information and, and amplify people's voices. So definitely, definitely. that is well, well. Thank you so much for asking me to come on and talk to you. Thanks. And I, I I hope it was helpful and entertaining and not too terribly depressing. <laughs> you know? Oh no, it was. <laughs> Oh my goodness! No, it was perfect. I I enjoyed it. I you know I'll I'll speak for myself. I've enjoyed having you on the show, and you know you never know. We might have to do a part two to this as we get closer to election day. You know, and the candidates start uh you know, uh winding down. Let's see who's left in the in the race. Yeah. Oh, that could be good. That could be good. We could do one for each country as y'all's elections get closer too, because that's well, something we want to learn more about. As an American, we don't really hear much about politics outside the U.S. Well, our elections—it's come down. It's just the two parties. I've been trying to reach out to a couple of the uh, independent candidates, but it's really sad that no one even regards them. You know, so which sure. tells me as much as the population says they want to change, they are not even going to give it a chance which is sad. Oh, man. So, well. so they, they've got a ways to go. But Casey, thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, so we're going to sign off from here. And I'd like to thank all my listeners for uh, c- coming in again on a Wednesday and look forward to talking to you all next week. Bye. Bye.